0: Hi everyone, welcome to episode number 61, I'm Sangeet Angela Kumar and just a disclaimer, this podcast is not a happy podcast, it's a bit depressing and a bit sad, so um, it's not like my usual podcast, so I would like to warn you uh, that if you're feeling happy and you want a happy podcast, this is not the place you should be. Um, Today I'm going to be talking about failure and i'm going to be talking about different types of failure and uh, yeah so like i said disclaimer not a happy post um so let's get started so um nobody uh who's ever a parent wants their child to fail um i'm not just talking about ambitious parents who want their children to go to harvard or st- you know stanford or oxford or you know the best college is st-, st stephen's college in india um Every parent wants their child to be successful. You don't give birth to a baby thinking, ooh, I want a failure. Unfortunately, um, we we uh, live in a society where eventually, thanks to sin, thanks to um, culture, thanks to exposure, eventually sin gets the better of us and it's not our sins, but generally things become bad and we we begin to stumble, we begin to fall. When I was in school, I never thought that my life would amount to be nothing like I would I always thought like I was like uniquely made and I I believe that I was uniquely made I was wonderful I was talented I had parents who were talented. I have great abilities I can edit I was editing and being a photographer when I was 18 years old I had a job when I was 16. I was earning. when I was 16. So What I'm saying is that um, I had a very great beginning, so I thought. But now, when I'm like, obviously, I'm forty and pensive and thinking back, and obviously, COVID has given me lots of time at home. Um, I, I, uh, one of the areas in my life which I failed, especially in school, was not academics, but it was relate, like relating to people. Um, I don't remember relating very well to people. I was quite a lonely kid and although everybody was my friend but nobody was my friend like I didn't really have roommates um, who wanted to be my roommates and I remember one instance in my life I think it was in 8th grade where everybody in the class uh, all the girls didn't want a room with me um, they all had their cliques and I was all alone and I remember reaching so in, w- in our school you would come like a few days before and I would come obviously like 2-3 days before because I wanted a good choice of bed, good choice of cupboard and drawers. So I came to school um, very excited because I, um, you know, I wanted my choice. I remember my brother dropping me. And uh, I came, it was 8th grade, so you know, top of the world, you're a senior in middle school. And, and I came and uh, the dorm parents said, oh, actually nobody wanted to room with you. Um, so you'll be rooming alone and I was like what nobody wanted a room with me and I think um, I won't say her name it's kind of mean to do that but there was a girl who uh, had a choice to room with me and she refused and said I don't like her and um, and I knew who the girl was which I feel in retrospect I don't think the grandparents should have revealed um, who that was but either way I was completely alone, devastated. By 8th grade, I didn't even have a friend. So, I mean, I was in Woodstock from 1st grade to 8th grade, and I was a very lonely girl, no friends. I remember my brother laughing, which he normally did often, whenever I was going through a crisis. But his laugh was more like an all-knowing laugh. He said, Um, you know being alone is fun you get your own Uh, so my room I was rooming alone and I would get an attached bathroom with my room because it was a single room I don't know why but it was pretty cool so he laughed and he said you know you're getting this this year is gonna be the best year for you because you're gonna really enjoy yourself and um, you may you may you know find it absolutely amazing to be alone of course, an eighth grader being shunned and rejected by her classmates—it doesn't seem like it was fun. But it was. My brother was totally right, like he always is. Um, eighth grade was one of my best years of my life because I was all alone. Because I, I got a room myself, I had my own space. I had my own bathroom, of course, and I could shower when I wanted. And room checks were a breeze. I didn't have to relate to people, and. I think over time I began realizing that okay I'm alone and that's okay like I would wake up really early in the morning in school not just because nobody would walk with me I know it sounds really like sad it is sad um, but nobody would walk up with me to school so I used to wake up early to get a hot breakfast and so I would get hot breakfast and walk up alone so no one could see me be all alone walking up alone now Maybe a lot of my, I don't know, I don't think anybody listens to my podcast from my school, but um, a lot of people may not have realized it because I hid it so well. Like I hid it like I was such a happy person. I was so positive. I was a bit of a class clown. But deep down inside, I was sad and I was like hurting and I compensated it by, you know, finding something better. Like a hot breakfast, hot toast, hot eggs is far better than having company. Um, even in orchestra, there were so many people who used to go up to orchestra, but I never, I never walked up with them. Not because I didn't want to walk up with them, it was because, A, they got up late and, um, we were never actually friends. Uh, none of them, like none of them in the orchestra was a friend. Of course, years later, I did go and stay with one of my friends in New York and she's such a darling and everyone is, you know how it is, everyone is your friend, but no one is your friend. So anyways, so, um, uh. So I spent most of my time in my school all alone, and that was fine. I made up with it by having hot breakfasts, and some sometimes I would have like friends join me, like people who wanted to catch up with their homework or study for an exam. Then they would join me in the mornings, and then we would walk up together. But again, that happened in high school. So once I hit high school, um, again I didn't really have uh, like I had like I did have a few friends. But no one really that I could call my friend. Like I, I'm not in touch with anybody. Nobody from my school came for my wedding. Um, it, It's just been like that. When I was in 12th grade, um, we had an option to have apartments. Okay, in our school. Our school is very cool. Um, so four girls would come together and they could have an apartment. Um, so I obviously didn't have anybody asking me to be in an apartment. But I opted for being alone in a room because I remembered 8th grade and I remembered how um, fun I had and lo and behold 8th grade was the most fun i uh, sorry 12th grade was the most fun I had because I was all all alone and I realized that solitude actually was um, a place of comfort for me and I really enjoyed that Uh, so yeah that's that's actually where loneliness and Um, solitude began and it wasn't so bad Um, so I may have failed in having friends but my failure was turned into victory because I found that I could spend time alone and not be um, you know like shaken or broken because of it Uh, because I was alone I was able to choose the subjects I wanted enjoy my high school I wasn't bound by science and maths and I did arts and you know like I, I really had a wonderful time when I was a senior Because I chose the subjects that I wanted to choose still. I didn't have any friends. So it was still um, Not great, but then I graduated. So that's part one of (laughs) Failure in school Um, the next part. I'm going to talk about failure in college stick with me College was very different from Woodstock. Obviously Woodstock was very sheltered, but uh, I missed the no friends that I never had uh, a lot. Uh, I think it was the idea of friends that I missed and uh, idea of familiarity. In Bombay, it was very hard. People were really mean in Bombay because um, I spoke differently and I had an accent. And so before even speaking to me or getting to know me, I would always be attacked saying, what's with the accent? Um, There were some kind souls who became friends with me of course I'm still not in touch with all of them probably my fault because I'm not always very good at keeping in touch Um, But again in in college the uh my failure was not at the end of my college my failure was at the beginning of my college because i didn't know that you had to stand in line for things i didn't know i thought you know teachers i thought you got textbooks in college like how i did in school so for me bombay was a bit of a culture shock Um and indian colleges were a uh, culture shock because i thought woodstock was an indian school but it wasn't Uh, It was an international school and uh, in the truest sense like we didn't have uniforms and we had you know, so for me uh, being in Xavier's was um, a Very daunting experience and was so I was failing. I almost failed uh, My first year and I remember the person who helped me Fleur Fleur ma'am who used to teach history uh, She I remember looked at my test looked at me looked at remembered my accent and said did you know Kea? So I was like, yeah, yeah, Kea was my senior in school. So she said, are you from Woodstock? So I was like, yes. I, as in she asked me if I was from Woodstock before, and then she asked me if I knew Kea and Paulden and all the other people who had been. And she said, oh, don't worry. Everyone from Woodstock fails in the first year, like almost fails in the first year. So I was like, what? So it was basically adjustment. So I wasn't able to really adjust into school, into college. Uh, second year was fantastic. I got a, I, I did well. I began to understand what guides were. I began to take notes in class and, or not take notes in class. It depended on the teacher because, like, I was in English, so Pearl, you had to take notes because she was brilliant with her notes. She did her research. You didn't even have to go to the library if you had Pearl. Whereas, um, Shafali was so much fun, uh, but her notes weren't always great. But she was great at points. So you could use Shefali's notes and go to the library and use those notes to find things. Meethi was also similar to that. Um, Eunice was, I, I think I was just scandalized by Eunice D'Souza. Like, she was so like m- brilliant. But I don't think she prepared us very well for exams. And eventually in Indian colleges, if you'd like to know. Indian colleges, it's just only about the exams. It's not about education or the process of education or anything. Of course, third year was the opposite of failure. It became nice and exciting and I got into my element. I got a few set of friends, uh, not too many. I wasn't so popular, but I, I found a niche. I found regularity. I've, I found um, comfort and Xavier's like the woods were my comfort, not the fancy woods now that you see, but the uh, my solitude was rewarded with a lonely bench under some palm trees early morning like my classes would begin at 9 30 9 10 but um, I would be in college at 7 10 because I just loved being alone and just loved the the quiet um, of solitude but again there was this hollow empty feeling of not having friends not having that you know everyone had childhood friends everyone had school friends but I didn't have any school friends so then I didn't really make too many friends and with the finger like like handful of friends i went and started work work was when honestly all my problems began i was vulnerable i didn't know my head or my tail i didn't know what the rules were i didn't know what Do you want to come over for coffee meant? I didn't know anything. I was this little, I would say a small town girl because I was from Missouri, a small town. I mean, I wasn't from Missouri, but I went to school in a small community called Woodstock. And then I went to Xavier's, which exposed me in big ways, but it didn't really prepare you for life. And then I was in life, and in every job I went, I I took a handful of friends with me, and from Filmfare to Aaj to um, NDTV, back to Filmfare, um, back to Headlines Today. The the key theme of my life was constantly um, like do well, do your job diligently, learn all you can, be the best, uh, and that's that's the thing that. I, my my job and my um colleagues and my bosses were so good. They were so good that they really led me to believe that I could do no wrong, you know? Um and it was like they were preparing me for so much um glory. Like I remember even Khalid, like Khalid has a reputation of um being quite strict, but he was so kind to me. Uh people like Meera and Nilifer and Um, even Anuradha and Sukanya and Jitesh and I mean in both my stints like I'm just um, clubbing them both together then even when I went to Ajitak people like uh, Shishir and Manish and Nitin and um, so many people Yadavji and Shubho who taught me editing like proper editing, Rukmani all these people they were just it was almost like they were invested in my greatness or invested in me doing well in my life, you know, doing great. And they they may not be called friends, but they were like my mentors or they were like my support system. They were all interested in just, um, not just getting to know me, but it was more about how can we make you the best. Um, and it was amazing. That wasn't so much in NDTV. I mean, of course, there were very good people in NDTV like Rohit Khilani and Rama. And, but the... The thing with NDTV was it was very every man to himself and with NDTV it was also a lot of work like you would do like three stories a day then you would anchor in the night and it was like three stories means you shoot, edit, shoot, edit, shoot, edit uh, and upload all three stories in a day. So the the work was crazy and you wouldn't have too much of a social life and you would just be so tired that's why I kind of burnt out with the media and um, in many ways that's also um, I would say uh, a failure but I I wouldn't see it as a failure it was a failure with a twist because that led me to really discover video making and so when I went to the Northeast and I backpacked across um, I mean, not literally backpacked. I had like a suitcase, but um, when I went to the northeast and I saw different cultures and different places, had different uh, experiences—some good, some bad. Um, what what I what came out of that was you know I like I love I love I love this, but this is not really what I want to do forever. Like meaning being a journalist. Of course, um, I if I could have helped it, I would have never gone back to work. I loved unemployment. I loved. Um, being a failure that way i loved the fact that i was no longer an anchor i loved the fact that i no longer had to be uh, you know stressed out about coming on tv i mean it's nice maybe people don't realize the the behind the scenes they see people on camera and they think they live good lives but it's not a fun life it's it's a really stressful life and um there's I mean, I, I felt no meaning, maybe because I was covering journalism, uh, entertainment journalism. So I didn't feel any meaning coming. Like, I remember when Nafisa Joseph ended her life, how distraught I was. I was in Arshtuk at that time, and I I couldn't function, I couldn't move, because she was not my friend. She was just someone I, I saw so often, because she used to be an anchor in many of the shows I used to go and report on. And we used to smile, we used to say hello to each other, and... But for me, um, th- th- more than like, of course, when, when she um, ended her life, what shook me and really destroyed um, a big part of my, um, I don't know what you would call it, happiness quotient was when the cameraman was saying, yaar, ka shot mila. and my heart broke. And honestly, it wasn't just my heart broke, I couldn't function. Like, I asked Shishar if I could like not do the shoot. And of course, everyone was angry because you wouldn't do that uh, when you're a journalist. But I just couldn't cover it. And I remember when Mahmood died, um, everybody was like, you know, asking stupid questions. And I remember going to the family and I I knew I had to talk to them. But I didn't want to ask the stupid questions because it made me so uncomfortable. And I remember asking... Um, I went to his house and I was speaking to his family And I said, you know, let's talk about the fun moments Let's talk about the moments which made us laugh Like tell me about uh, memories that you have of Mahmood And honestly, in my books, that was one of my finest interviews In my books, I don't know about TRP and all that But it was an interview where they were crying and laughing And it was almost cathartic And we were celebrating his life And not sensationalizing it and um, I do have to thank my uh, bosses for allowing me to experiment that way. Allowing me to do things my way to not... Like it was a, it would have been a very hard decision for Shishar to allow me to go home and not sack me because of that. But um, it was very kind of him to understand that maybe I was shaken by it. Um, there were even instances where um, th- there were certain channels who asked me to do like a sting operation. And I wasn't comfortable because... In like I, I didn't feel comfortable given my faith and my, my belief system to do that. And I remember the channel was okay. Like I, I thought they were gonna fire me when I said no. Um and when when I said no and they said don't worry, we respect your decision, maybe they respected it, maybe they didn't, but I didn't get fired because of that. And that was really nice. So what was very beautiful about my career in, in media was that even though I was failing, quote unquote I was able to do my best and I was able to be the best and be excellent at it. Um, when I moved to Delhi, it was a little harder, even though I was pushing to be excellent. I think um, th- Delhi was not; Delhi didn't really suit me. The people were hard. It was harsh. It was. Um, I found uh, my Headlines Today experience in Delhi was one of my worst professional experiences because it was just... I don't even know how to say, but there it was. I had actually gone backwards in my career, even though I was anchoring. But um, we from making stories. I was copying stories from newspapers, and I just it was so um, backwards for me, you know. So when I did decide to leave and kind of um, leave media full time and like like mainstream media and go into like ministry and freelance work. I really thought that my life would have meaning and uh, and it did Uh, definitely my time in CBN was wonderful it had like a lovely I had a lovely time there uh, in that production company and um, you know shooting for the stories and stuff but as time went by uh, the more I realized that without employment or without uh, a company that gives you a salary every month it's very difficult to be a success you can be You can walk slowly and slowly slowly towards failure, but you you will never attain that level of success and growth that you would otherwise if you are probably employed with somebody and you have good employers, like good bosses who let you do what you need to do to further their brand. Nowadays, I don't think people can afford doing all those things, but in my time, it was um, very, very beautiful to work with uh, bosses who supported uh, pursuing excellence and alternative thinking so when um freelance started and this was about 10 years ago um it it may have started with a little success i remember in 2010 i had my first shoot um with um, a known uh, photographer and it was fantastic we had two days of shoot in goa and i was doing the making of and it was fantastic and really amazing experience but over time, that freelance gig started becoming um, like, you know, that photographer made life so easy for me, but not everybody was like that. I didn't calculate how I, had, how I would have to run after um, clients, beg for money, beg to be paid. And I can totally understand uh, people, including celebrities, who are struggling with, with uh, day-to-day needs because their payments haven't been released and that is another thing that always challenged me and coming from a salaried person to going into freelance it was very disconcerting and yes I felt like a failure there where um, you had to beg for money beg for projects um, and most of the time you were faced with rejection and well my favorite word of this podcast failure. Then comes my favorite topic, marriage, relationships and the failures of it. Now, of course, if you've been following my podcast, you know the ups and downs of my marriage life. Um, but yes, I never knew or calculated that marriage would make me feel like such a failure. Um, it's not just the fight. So it's not just that your marriage doesn't look like what it should look or your parenting skills don't look like parenting skills. I mean, a lot of. Like no one tells you that marriage will be hard. No one tells you that you'll have to compromise so much. No one tells you that you have to be so selfless. Like I remember um, reading a marriage book and of course the audio series and I attended a camp with the same topic and it was talking about love and respect and how it's so unnatural for a man who is otherwise selfish in his nature to um, forget himself and love another woman like uh, and not himself. And similarly respect how a woman who has abundance of love can love all she wants. But the core uh, struggle that she has, because she's so good at what she does, is to actually find respect, um, to respect a man. And I mean, I've been married for nine years now. It's been quite some time and I'm going to complete 10 years with my husband, like knowing him. And truth be told, I am the biggest failure in all my life in my marriage. And um, hopefully this will not be used against me in court. Thanks. Please, George, don't do that. Um, but I think what happens is that you go into marriage thinking the best. You, th- you want to be the best version of yourself. But inevitably, every marriage and newlyweds, if you're listening to this, or people who are not married, if you're listening to this, word of caution Marriage is not fun. It's not enjoyable. It's not uh, great. It's not beautiful. It's t- it's really hard, and it's um, it's impossible. Actually, I feel like it's impossible for a man to love a woman. Really, like I I remember having a fight about um, something that I felt like oh I want love, but all uh, my husband was thinking about was his ego and actually it really comes down to ego versus love and love versus respect women will never respect men because we just we we need to be wowed you know we need to have a man who will really wow us like I have been wowed a a few times in my marriage but it's it's not even 10 times for me to count but I have you know looked down and disrespected my husband more than thousand or million times It's a failing in me. It's a failing in my personality. Of course, love and respect comes down to how we have to use... uh, It's a Christian book. So how we have to use God's love to help us, transform us, to be able to do supernatural respect or supernatural love. And truth be told, my husband and I are not really into reading the Bible. We don't... I mean, of course, before marriage, I really wanted to be married to a guy who read the Bible. But um set in we don't really read the Bible, we don't really go to a church we we're not very regular with uh faith kind of stuff um and we're we're lost you know i mean we I'm sure we have our own individual relationship with God, but um in terms of like you know the ideal that Christ will be the center of your marriage and he will help you and like in our vows, like I keep quoting this in fights. Uh, which is terrible but I do Um, like in our vows it said to love and to cherish with God's help so our pastor added a line saying um, for richer for poor and all that right in the vows so he said with God's help I will love you I with God's help I will do so the fact is that even the vows for us were always reaching out to God and saying with god's help i will love you uh, even when you disrespect me or with god's love uh, with god's help i will respect you even though you're not loving me but truth be told um it's not possible for uh, men and women to love and respect each other i, I think it is a far-fetched dream and uh, i know that um there are days when it's so good and you're living in this bliss and honestly what i say to those days is those days are a lie all days that are happy in your married life are all like just smoke screens the truth is what a person says and fights is actually what they feel and people who say i didn't mean it and all that it's all crap um what you say is what you feel when you're angry you all all um all chips are down. All your vulnerabilities come out. And I've realized that there have been a lot of nasty things that I've said to my husband. And there are a lot of nasty things that he said to me. But when you really think about it. And you really think about your marriage and the way it looks. Um, the the things said in anger are actually be- they begin to sound more like the truth. And the things said in love sound like smoke screens. So... Why am I saying all this, because I officially have failed in my marriage, I, um, I have not kept things light, I have not been um, friendly, I have not been uh, respectful, I have not done my job as a wife. Um, my husband obviously hasn't either, but I am not here to talk about him, I am really talking about me. Ha ha ha, me, 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 the world revolves around me, just kidding. Um, no, I'm I'm really I honestly I'm here to share my experiences, so to encourage you. So either you don't make the same mistakes as me, uh, or if you already have, then you can find a way to rectify it. Um I think art and cinema and radio and all that is just um means to uh expose us to uh, great people, uh so we can learn from them and I think tragedies are um, a great way to show people what what horrible things can happen and how we can learn from it so those horrible things can happen. And I think the tragedy of Sangeeta Angela Kumar is actually a very key um, uh, title because uh, it's it is the tragedy the tragedy of life. Life isn't happy. Life isn't full of roses. I Maybe there are people who in, in the world who are happy, but I'm not happy and I've struggled with depression, I've struggled with health ailments, I've struggled with um, anger, I've struggled with so many things that don't make my life look like the way that I'm sure my parents wanted my life to look like. Um, struggles and uh, insecurities and um, fears, they all overcome you and I'm 40 years old, um, literally not... Not knowing anything except for one thing that I failed. I failed in most departments of my. life. Okay, maybe I'm a super hit as my as a mom. So there is a silver lining, which there always will be a silver lining, and that's the key. Uh, as a failure, uh, you don't need to be limited by your failures. I'm probably the most uh, uh, like normal, common tail, tall, not tall tail, <laughs> tale of. A fallen hero in heroine I was gonna say hero but I was like let's make this feminine um, you know uh, the tragedies of my childhood the tragedies of my youth the tragedies well of my I haven't really shared too much huh? by the way I'm not I'm, I am being very cryptic those who need to understand will understand ha <laughs> but um, what I'm trying to say is they have been tragedies in everybody's life there are pains there are happinesses but sometimes there's more pain than happiness. Here's the key. Don't, even when you fail, even when you fall, even when nothing is working, somehow there will be a silver lining. Something will work out. There have been a lot of stories about um, people ta- ending their lives in uh, online. And I just, I want to share that I've also ha- struggled with this a lot. I've really struggled with it. There have been many times in my life where I felt, shall I check out? You know, it'll be easier to just go to heaven or it'll be easier to um just not deal with the problems of the world and you don't want to you want to just stop feeling and i understand i understand how hard it is but um i think the key uh is um there uh, to look at the silver linings i think what helps me and this is something that i don't know will help you but it helps me as a believer I uh, I believe in God's blessings. I believe that He loves me and I believe that He's really protecting me, right? Sometimes I, I, sometimes I forget that, but most of the time I believe that um, I am loved. So if I look back and I think of like maybe 10 things that He's been faithful in or 10 things that He's blessed me with, um, that really helps me process my pain a little better. Um, like, so in every area of your life like right now i'm 40 i'm stuck with a man who um i'm a roommate with you know so like uh, my husband and i are basically glorified roommates we we uh, we make it work you know like like most married couples i think most married couples are like they make it work you know they just go through the motions and there's no i think the problem with women like me is that we believe in romance we believe in they need we believe in expectations you know like i was sharing with a friend that you know like okay so you know i'm obviously i'm very emotional and i'm very sensitive so probably this is why i'm you know things are not working out for me and then i thought of this and i thought about that personality test that i did the 16 personality and in that i am like a defender right i'm a person who um, cares about people and i i'm always looking out for the good of others so it's so funny because I was like, you know what, maybe I shouldn't have gotten married. I should have just been like started an NGO and taken care of people. I think I would have found more meaning and purpose in my life if I had done that. And um, so here's like, here's what I'm saying. If your life is looking dreary, don't be alarmed. Your life may not look, I'm mean, and I'm not saying this because I want to give you some hope that your life will be better. Maybe your life will get worse. But... <laughs> yeah, don't don't run away, don't run away, wait, wait, wait. Um, but the um, the silver linings are always there. It's just that we never see them. Um, the silver lining in my life is that I have a wonderful, loving, um, sweet, little naughty uh, daughter uh, who I love, who adores me, and I know that eventually she's going to become a teacher. Uh, teacher, okay, maybe she'll be a teacher also, but she's going to become a teenager and maybe resent me and. Maybe fight with me and that will be a day that I don't enjoy. But the fact is that right now, today, I'm blessed with such a loving child who's always hugging and always kissing and always giving me all the um, perks of being a mom, you know, like the the rewards. Uh, I'm blessed with having two of the most amazing parents who are so invested in my life and who who will like be worried about me and always call me and always ensure that I'm okay. And they're still like, I'm still their little baby. I'm still their little girl, even though I'm 40 years old. Um, the silver lining is that I get to do what I'm passionate about. I love the fact that I can uh, ideate a project which will help people and help students learn, you know, a skill. I love that I have the ability and the technology to support my passion um, and work. So this is something that I never had in my career. I never had a studio set up. I never had, it took a long time. It's taken about uh, like what, five years to set up a studio and run it. And, and then of course, you'll have those uh, some uh, funny people who take advantage of you and want you to do free videos. But it's nice to be a business owner, even though I'm not so successful, but it's nice to be able to. Um, create plans to create videos to create content to create encouraging videos uh, videos that will um, bless people so I I'm one of the very few people in the world who actually gets to control uh, what I do and do what I love and I'm very very grateful so that's already like three silver linings Um, there are many many more Um, I of course have still have my good looks just kidding Um, (laughs) and it's just I l- life is not that bad even as a failure and I am one of the biggest failures in life you know like if you would you would have told somebody what do you think Sangeeta will do um, you'd be like oh she'd be like famous and she'd be in an, an anchor she'd be on TV and I did that I did all of that and that was wonderful and maybe the second stint of my life wasn't supposed to be so successful maybe i was supposed to be a failure but in that failure there is uh, a deep-rooted joy which never goes or this deep-rooted satisfaction that never goes so if you are feeling low and if you're feeling um uh, if you're feeling like let down by people or and people will let you down you know trust me um 100 of people are not your friends like i have a I knew someone who used to say, Koi kisi ka dost nahi, Koi kisi ka dushman nahi. Which means, no one is anyone's friend, and no one is anyone's enemy. And I've always held on to that. Even though that, by the way, that person is not my friend or my enemy. Like, that person doesn't even talk to me. Um, But I love that. I love that. um, If you go about your life, looking at people like, you're not my enemy, and you're not my friend, um, it will protect you. Because I have realized that friends always let you down. And... Enemies, I mean, you know, enemies are maybe your most faithful friends eventually. Um, so, uh, f- focus on the silver lining. It's it's a hard time that we're all living in with so much happening around us. I mean, we're not just talking about cyclones and earthquakes and deaths and 8, eight minutes and 46 seconds and um, coronavirus and SARS and Ebola and... Uh, diseases and heart diseases and cancer and so many things that threaten your existence but if you focus on that silver, silver lining then um, maybe maybe there's a slight smile that can make your day a little beautiful so on that note this was my 61st podcast the tragic life of Sangita Angela Kumar where eventually I am still celebrating I am still um, afloat uh still around and um thanks for joining me in this super long autobiography podcast i hope you enjoyed it and i hope you learned from it and i hope you're encouraged by it because on dark days um honestly of course i go to the bible but i also remember and never forget that um i mean god is going in front of me through me and behind me um and I, he's never going to let me go like I am going to end with this beautiful story that many of you would have heard but it's it's my most favorite story ever it's uh, called footprints in the sand and uh, the story goes where this man is um, I think on his deathbed and he looks at his life and he sees um, two foot four of, like two sets of footprints uh, walking on the beach and then he sees um, the hardest parts of his life and only one pair of footprints so obviously like defensive he goes to god and says what is this yeah you know you know you where were you you know uh you left me and jesus says um my dear son i was i didn't leave you i was carrying you and i think that's 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 so beautiful and the truth is throughout this podcast whatever i've said the negativities like i said i haven't shared everything but um the negativities of life have been the times when i've been carried by jesus the most so imagine the more you struggle the more you're being carried which is beautiful if you really think about it um so hope you are carried through in a beautiful and positive way chin up feel happy not fake happy but really think about the blessings that you have and find a way to find the joy uh, and if you can't find the joy then spark joy with cleaning your cupboard maybe that will help also um, i hope uh, you're cheered up and don't feel discouraged and you can reach out to me on instagram if you want or um, you can email me too on sangeetanjala kumar especially if you're feeling low and depressed i promise i will try my best to cheer you up okay Thanks a lot for joining me. This is podcast number 61. You're listening to Planet Sang, and I'm Sangeeta Angela Kumar. Uh, take care. Bye.